0: We're reading from Matthew five thirteen through 16 this morning. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. All right. Good morning, everybody. Did everybody wear their coats? I I put my hood up on the way into church today. This is really happening. Winter is actually upon us. Which is scary, uh, but also kind of comforting, because it does mean you're all going to get gifts for Christmas. So that's good. Um, Or unless you were bad, and then you will not get any gifts. Then you will get coal in your stocking, and I, as the pastor of the church, am like like this with Santa, and so I know <laughs> if you got coal or if you got presents. It's it's yes, it's it's a perk. It's a perk of the job. Anyways, so uh, last week we began a series we're calling Ecclesia, which is on. Uh, basically exploring this idea of the church. Ecclesia is a Greek word, it just means the called out ones, and it's the primary word that was used in the New Testament to describe the church. It's the primary Greek word that was used to describe the church. And so over the uh, last week, we basically we took a big step back and looked at the entirety of the narrative of Scripture to kind of uh, explore what it is the church is actually called to, right? What the church actually is. And we discovered that the church is God's primary plan or his central plan for the redemption of the world, that the church is God's first and only plan for the world. Incredible, incredible, incredible. But this week, we have to dive a little deeper into what all that means, right? Right? We can understand who we are on a, on a surface level, what the church actually is on a surface level. But we don't actually begin the process of understanding what we should do, right? Because if you know who you are, you do that's important. But then you have some further steps to take after that of actually knowing what you should do. And so over the next two weeks, uh, this week I'm going to be speaking, and then next week uh, Ashley, my wife, is going to spe- be speaking. And we'll be exploring these ideas of what the church is called to do What literally we should do when we gather together or when we're apart actually throughout our week. What the church is called to do. And so uh, what we see from this passage is Jesus talking to his disciples, the passage that David read for us today. Uh, We see Jesus talking to his disciples about what they are as disciples, what they are to be. And as current day disciples, we can easily read the words of Jesus as a, an overlay on top of us, that what we are supposed to be is salt and light, right, is what Jesus uses in that, in that passage. He says that you and I are the light of the world. Now, as often happens when Jesus is attempting to communicate some big ideas, he goes into using these metaphors or, or pictures or images in order to help uh, us understand an idea. Uh, he doesn't come out and say in a, in a clear or straightforward way what we are called to do. He uses this image or this metaphor of, of primarily of light as a means of communicating to us or maybe even inspiring us towards a bigger or better thing. What does he say exactly? He says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus uh, is, uh, not Jesus, but Paul then picks up the same idea in Philippians 2 verses 15 when, when he says, shine among them like stars in the sky. So both, of, both Paul and Jesus are using this imagery of light to describe the ways in which followers of Jesus or the church together is supposed to be, how they're supposed to act, what they're supposed to actually be about the business of doing. And they use these images as a means of helping us to understand our calling. Uh, Very often, uh, what we see from Jesus is this communication that's on the level of images. And we wonder, why is Jesus not more straightforward? Why is he not simply communicating to me in the way that everyone else communicates to me? He doesn't just say, okay, now what you need to do is you need to go to that town, you need to say this to that person, or something along those lines. He uses these images to, dis, to, de, to define how we, are, we, how we are to be or what we are to do, right? And this is something that I don't think you really learn until you become a parent. But very often, when you're trying to communicate ideas to your children, you can't tell them exactly what you want them to do. You can't just say, go pick up your toys, Because very often what you run into with that is um, a little bit of a block, right? A little bit of a roadblock, to say the least. You you have to uh, inspire them towards action, maybe is a better way of putting it. That you you capture kind of their hearts or their imaginations. And if you're able to do that, you're able to actually uh, get them to do the thing that you want them to do. Because Jesus understands something about us that we sometimes don't even understand about ourselves, that we, we don't want to do what we're told, <laughs> basically, and that we need to see a larger or a bigger or a more inspiring vision in order for us to do the things that are actually work for our own good, right? So you can tell your son or daughter to eat their vegetables, but they will ask you why, and you will tell them because you need to grow up big and strong, Right? They, your child needs a larger vision for why they are supposed to do the thing they're supposed to do. And Jesus, very often in his parables, uses the parables, uses these images, uses these metaphors as a means of, of, uh, to inspire us onto something greater, onto something bigger. He wants us to see the big picture of who we are, of what the kingdom of God is, of what the church is, of what we are to become as his followers, Do you understand? And so by by virtue of inspiring us, by virtue of using these images, pictures, metaphors, Jesus is actually calling something out of us. He's actually calling us to a higher place, to 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 a new vantage point, to a new way of seeing even. And when he uses this image of light, both he and Paul, he's able to communicate what we are to be, that we are to be a kind of city on a hill. A light that shines in a dark place. The uh, German uh, theologian and martyr uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it this way. He says, discipleship is as visible as light in the night and as a mountain in the flat land. And as a church, we are called to live in such a radically distinct Different and beautiful way that our corporate life, or in Bonhoeffer's words, our life together, functions as a kind of light that draws people towards Jesus, or at least lights up a world that is, in some sense, dark. Uh, Donald Blausch, who's another scholar, this is what he says about the role of the church. He says, The church is an outward sign that conveys invisible grace, not through its own power, but through the power of the Spirit who acts upon and within the church's preaching and celebration. The church not only points to salvation beyond itself, but also communicates the fruits of this salvation, which includes the forgiveness of sins and the new life in Christ. And so the church is called to communicate the fruits of salvation the fruits of this thing that Christ has brought us by living now and exemplifying the type of life that God would have us to live. And by virtue of living that type of life, the type of life that Jesus uh, talks about, primarily on the Sermon on the Mount, right? As we begin to live that type of life, communally, our community becomes this beautiful thing that lights up the world. We, by living this way, Get to shine our lights. See, we are called to be ambassadors of Jesus. In our, in our culture, uh, this is not always something that we think that we're responsible for, right? But we are called to be ambassadors of Jesus um, into our cultures, to go out into our cultures and to exemplify the love and light of Jesus. Now, this is not something that religion naturally does. This is not something that actually people naturally do, because as people, we tend to be tribalistic. We tend to find our own clique or our own group of people, and we kind of create a little huddle, and we try to pull away from other people. We create these circles, right? We circle the wagons. We get alone with our own people. We do our own things. We say things to one another that just affirm what we already believe, right? Right? Uh, and we don't actually go out into the world. This is what people do. They find their own tribe, and and they they isolate themselves. But the gospel runs counter to this this really natural impulse inside each of our hearts. The church is this institution that is called to break itself open and give itself to the world, not to create its own uh, little entity, not to create its own little clubs that are separate, where we can feel more holy or better than the church is this institution that is called to break itself open in love and give itself to the world, right? We, we know this instinctively, but in our hearts, it's hard. It's a difficult thing to do because in truth, we don't, uh, we don't want to give ourselves to other people. We just want to be in our own little, we want to be comfortable. We want to be safe. We want to be secure, right? We want people to tell me that I'm doing the right thing and that the other people, you know, we want to be reaffirmed. We want to be reassured. And, and as, as a church, going out into the community, living lives engaged in the cultural conversation is not something that always affirms me, right? It's not something that always makes me feel great about myself. Sometimes I get shut down. And so this is a difficult thing. This is a difficult thing, but it's something that Christ calls us to. Jesus uh, repudiates the behavior of the Pharisees who were attempting to do this in the New Testament. They were attempting to, some, in some real and true way, isolate themselves from the prevailing culture. They were, they were using religious rules and laws of holiness to isolate themselves from the prevailing culture. They didn't want to interact with Romans, right? They didn't want to interact with the unclean. They didn't want to act, interact with all these groups of people. And Jesus uh, repudiates the Pharisees for this type of activity, right? But he, more than just tell them, you shouldn't do this, what does Jesus do? He eats with these people. He does uh, the most intimate thing you can possibly do with someone in the first century world. He shares a meal with them. In our culture, we share meals kind of fairly regularly. We all go to the, the chilies or the Sizzler. I don't know. Have you ever been to a Sizzler? I haven't. Um, we all go to a restaurant, right? And there's people around, and we kind of share a meal together. Well, in the first century world, this is not something that happened. They didn't have... Uh, shared eating spaces in the same way that we do today. And so to share a meal with somebody, to invite someone into your home was this incredibly intimate thing. And it was a way of saying if you invited someone in your home to eat with them, you it was a way of saying I approve of this person. You didn't invite anyone into your home that you didn't approve of. Then and that you didn't want your neighbors to know you approved of. All right? And so it was, this, it was a public statement, this eating together. And it's what Jesus is constantly doing with who? Tax collectors and sinners. All manner of the riffraff of the Bible, Jesus is sitting at the table with them and engaging them in real and true relationship over a meal. This is a revolutionary thing that Jesus is doing, and it's getting him in trouble, right? Throughout the, throughout the Gospels, Jesus is getting in trouble for this practice. And so, uh, we learn from the person of Jesus that the church is a body of sinful men and women who God calls saints, and that is why we are to continue the ministry of Jesus by eating and drinking with sinners. So, uh, you ask, what is the church to do? That's the question we're asking today. What is this ecclesia? What is this called out people to do? How are we to engage our world? And the answer is eat and drink. The answer is be at the table with people, right? Yeah. <laughs> so People who like food are like, amen, this is easy. <laughs> this is very easy. Um, we are called in some real and specific way, some really real and specific way, to engage people in love by eating with them in the New Testament vernacular, which is not uh, simply to share a meal, but to share life, to engage with on a real, true, and deep level. Next week, we'll talk about uh, the unity that that the church requires, the koinonia is the biblical term, but the the unity, the love that we're to share in and amongst ourselves as the body of Christ. But today, we're talking about what that love looks like in public what the church is called to in the public sphere. So this ministry that Jesus enacted, this, this ministry of really just eating with people, this, this ministry of loving people, regardless of who they were, regardless of how different their perspectives were from his, regardless of really anything they did, was something that, um, like we said earlier, get, got him in trouble it got Jesus in trouble because he was always doing this. And the the religious leaders in his day and age thought in some real and true sense that he was uh, unclean or that he was inviting uncleanness or unholiness into their own space. And that by virtue of sharing a meal, sharing space, sharing uh, an actual physical locality with somebody that uh, didn't see eye to eye with the religious leaders of the day, that Jesus was somehow contaminating them. That they were being contaminated by Jesus' actions. And this is why they get so frustrated with him, right? This is why they, over and over they get so frustrated with him in the, in the scriptures. But Jesus flips this idea on its head, this idea of contamination on its head. You see, Jesus didn't believe that by virtue of being in proximity to someone who didn't see the world with him or was a sinner in the eyes of their religious structures or even a sinner in the eyes of God, that he was in any way contaminated by that reality, right? Jesus believed in some real and true sense that he was the one who was the bringer of light, the bringer of cleanness, the bringer of the goodness and grace of God, the bringer of the kingdom of God. He was not contaminated by his proximity to something that was unclean. And in a world where there was such a thing as religious, being religiously or irreligiously unclean, this was a, this was a very important thing. But Jesus flips this paradigm entirely. You, you see it when he says to the Pharisees, it's not what goes into the body, it's not what touches me that makes me clean or unclean, it's what comes out of me. It's, it's the nature of the things that come out of my heart and my mouth and my mind that make me clean or unclean. It's not who I'm around. It's not who I spend time with. It's what's in my head and what's in my heart, right? It's who lives within me. It's who I am that makes me clean or unclean. It has nothing to do with who I associate with. Does that make sense? And at times, what happens, even in the church today, is we have this subtle... um, can, we have this subtle way of thinking that if I get in proximity to something that is, in some way, shape, or form, not, um, not clean, not what I would, not the way I would have it to be, not the way I think God would have it to be, that in some sense I'm contaminated by that reality. That in some sense I'm like made to be bad or something, or that I might catch it like it's a cold, right? And the ministry of Jesus is one that's totally counter to this, right? The ministry of Jesus is one in which he is constantly and always crossing these boundaries that we would think would be there for his benefit or his good, but he's always crossing them. He's always transversing them. He's always sitting at table with people who he wasn't supposed to. He was always relating to people who he wasn't supposed to relate to. And as a church, as a church in in a town, in a particular place, us, we are called to do the same thing. The church is called uh, to truly love people who think, look, and act differently than we do. Love without agenda, even. Can you love someone who is uh, different than you? Can you sit down? Uh, to table with somebody who is different than you. And I'm just going to throw a couple, like, real-world application pieces out here um, because I think it's helpful. So sometimes love is this really kind of, um, it's kind of a high-minded idea. Oh, yes, I love so-and-so. But it's like, okay, would you go to Chili's with them? (laughs) No, I probably wouldn't go to Chili's with them. Then you might not love them right? if you Love, in a biblical sense, has to do with our actions. It has to do with our orientation, not always with our feelings, okay? So here's the question. Can you have dinner with somebody who voted differently than you? That's a hot button, right? Can you live different? uh, Can you have dinner with somebody who lives differently than you, has chosen a, a, a lifestyle that's completely different than yours? And can you do it like Jesus did it, right? Can you have dinner with somebody who likes a different team than you? Go Hawks, for the record. <laughs> Just for the record. Yes, my best friend is a Michigan fan, and I texted him about it. Um, <laughs> shoot. Now, that, that goes against what I'm trying to say here today. Um, can you have dinner with somebody who has a different religion than you? Right? Can you, can you truly love, be friends with, engage with somebody who has a completely different orientation than you do? Very often, the answer to that question is no, and I'm not speaking to you, I'm speaking for myself, right? Very often, people with a different orientation than I do in some way, shape, or form, they bother me, right? But the call of Jesus on our lives and the call of the church, and this isn't just as individual's. Here's the thing. Here's the thing that's so interesting about this. This isn't, this isn't an individual call. This is a corporate call that we would in some way take up the mantle of the ministry of Jesus and begin eating and drinking with people who don't see the world the way we do. This isn't something we do in isolation by ourselves. This is something we as a body do together. This is something as in the totality of who we are, we're called to do. We need to be known as a community of people who are about the business of doing this. Does that make sense? Sometimes we make this too isolated, right? We make it just about me. And, it's some, and we, th- that makes sense because it's you at your job, right? It's you in your places, the places you go and the people you see. But in reality, none of us are isolated in this, in this endeavor. None of us are alone in this process. We have to engage culture. We have to engage people. Otherwise, what happens? Our lights don't actually shine. In order, uh, a city on a hill, right, is visible. Jesus says, don't put your light under a bowl. And too often in American Christianity, what we have done is we um, we have just removed ourselves from people. And we've just picked up the bullhorn, right? And we've just told people how we think they should vote. Or we've just told people how we think they should act. And we haven't actually sat at table with them right? It's, this, it's the disembodied voice. It's the voice, right, without love, without actual real and true action. It's the voice without relationship that causes all of the things that we've seen this week, right? It is. It's true, regardless of how you voted. It's, it's, it's a voice without love. It's a bullhorn without relationship that causes this type of strife. Right? In a nation and in a smaller community. If we, the church is called to be a light in the world. And we do that not by stating our opinion. We don't. We do that by loving people into the kingdom and by bringing the kingdom by virtue of the ways that we love. That is how we do it. There is no other way to do it because it's the only way that Jesus went about his life, right? It's the only way that Jesus went about his ministry. The church is called to this very specific and certain thing, and it starts around a table, or maybe it starts over a cup of coffee, or maybe it starts over a sporting event. I don't know where it starts, but it starts in the simple and the mundane, because it's in the simple and it's in the mundane that we are able to communicate the love and grace of God. Very often what we are all looking for in our religious environments is profound things. We're all, we're all looking for these like deep, deeper levels of profundity, right? Like that I just need to be caught up into the third heaven with God, right? That I need to be, that I need to be swept away into this like, um, kind of religious ecstasy, right? Right? When the when the ministry that Jesus enacted, and there were some great things that happened with Jesus, but when the bulk of the ministry that Jesus has enacted was simply eating with the poor and the lame and the broken, right? When it was simply having a meal with those who didn't see eye to eye with him, when that was where the bulk of Jesus' ministry was found, we need to see our ministry, our calling as the church to find its primary center its its primary locus in that place with people right the religious life is v- by and large a, a not very a not very glamorous one if it's lived in the pattern of the person of jesus Because it's lived in the mundane, it's lived in the simple. But those simple and mundane moments, when lived in the light of eternity, when lived in the light of the kingdom of God, take on kind of a a fire of significance. They burn bright, right? As we reflect the light and the love of Jesus out into our world. We do not need grand statements, we just need faithful people willing to live the way Jesus lived. That's the church. In simple and straightforward terms, that is the church. Learning to love people who think differently uh, than you and I. Learning uh, to uh, influence people in a redemptive way is the center of what the church is called to out in the community, out in the world. And here's the other secret. Um... When we begin to uh, do that outside the walls, we can be, then begin to become honest with each other within the walls. And we'll talk about this more next week. Ashley will. Um, but there's this reality of church also, that in the same way that w- we sometimes, uh, as, as church people, as people that were, grew up in church, as followers of Jesus, uh, we sometimes don't want to venture outside the four walls and, like, have dinner with people who don't see eye to eye with us because it makes us uncomfortable. Um, in the church, we've all we so we occasionally shield ourselves off from each other, and we're also not honest with you. Uh, I'm not honest with you all the time about who I actually am. That happens, right? Or you're not honest with each other about who you actually are, what you actually think, because you're scared that you'll be shunned or shut off or turned away, or you know, you're, you're scared of those things. The church should be this place where we are this unity. I'm, I, have, I have the desire to quote uh, the penny and say, e pluribus unum, out of many one, right? Um, but there is this type of unity out of diversity, right? The church, is a call, the church is this people who are called out from every nation, every tribe, every tongue, and they're called and they, they all pay allegiance to the cross, right? We bow our knee to Jesus, and there's this type of unity that happens in, in the midst of that. And that as, we, as we step outside these walls and begin to be comfortable with the difference, right? With other people, we're also able to get comfortable with the difference that's actually in this room today. Because there are differences here, too, that also need to be healed. That's just the truth. I'm not saying anything that can't be said to every congregation in America or the entirety of the world, right? But the reality of the, reality of the gospel, the reality of what the church is called to is this reality of taking up the mantle of the ministry of Jesus, of learning to love and eat with people in a way that engages not just that person, but also the world. Because via our engagement with that person, we are making the world a better place. Via our engagement with people who might not see eye to eye with us, we are actually extending the kingdom of God one meal at a time, one conversation at a time. One person at a time. Now notice this isn't about getting this person to uh, think the way you think. It's not about that. It's not about convincing or having, having wonderful arguments, right? That tell people, that, that straighten them out, right? It's not about that. It's simply about communicating the love and grace of Jesus, Right? It's simply about embodying the love and the grace of Jesus in our everyday lives. So that's the answer to the question, what are we called to do in public? In our public sphere, what are we called to do? Now there's a lot more that we could, that we could talk about there, but it, when, when it's simple. When, when it gets boiled down, it's simply to love people. It's simply to, it's simply to be with them, to have a meal, to have a conversation And to do that in such a way that does not communicate uh, condemnation or judgment, but to do that in such a way that communicates the heart of Jesus. Because if there's one thing we know about Jesus, and you've probably all heard this, that um, those who were outside of the cultural norm in his day, so those who were outside were considered sinners in in a Jewish sense, or uh, were Romans, or anybody who's considered outside the cultural norm from which Jesus came, which was, you know, Galilean Judaism. Those people loved him desperately, and then everybody who was kind of inside his cultural norm, everybody who was from was Jewish and was from Galilee shunned him <laughs> now, now that's not that doesn't mean that we I've heard people use that in such a way as to say that um none of the, nobody at my church likes me, so i'm just like jesus um that's not what it means <laughs> that's not what it means um <laughs> uh, but it is to mean that, that, that in the manner of our lives, there should be something attractive about us. That, that the, the type of attraction that happened between Jesus and those people who are outside the cultural norm in his day were attracted to him. And in our day, the same should be true. That the culturally marginalized, right? those, those who are poor or uh, sick or any of those things, they should be attracted to us as a community. And then across the ideological divide, people who are on the other side of whatever ideological place you come down at, those people should be attracted to you too. So I'll just say it. If you're a Democrat and there aren't some Republicans in your life, they're just attracted to you because you're a good person, then there's an issue there with the way in which you exemplify the call of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus. And if you're a Republican and there aren't some Democrats who are attracted to you and just want to spend time with you because you're exemplifying the character and, and, and direction of Jesus, there's a problem there. There just is. And I'm not saying this to be hard on us because some of us voted for people this week. <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's the vaguest way I could say that without getting political. Some of us voted for people. <laughs> I hope nobody wrote in your dog for president. Uh, but, the, but, the reality, but the reality of this is, and, and this and I'll be done here in two minutes. The, um, the reality of this week, it, it, to me, was um, that we have, for too long, as the church, uh, closed ourselves off to the type of conversation and the type of relationship that would lead towards healing and not division, right? That, that's, for me, the, the, t- the true takeaway. And our calling in a world that is fractured like this is not to solve it not to go and try to get as much power as we can get in order to try to solve the world because that's not possible and that's not the that's not the mode or method that Jesus took in order to fix the problems of the world. Our job is to be the church, to love like Jesus loved, to live like Jesus lived, and to simply embody the goodness and grace of God wherever we go and whoever we eat with. That's the calling. That's the church. And that is a beautiful thing. That's the type of thing that you, you can... Uh, that's the type of city on a hill that I can get behind that's the type of light of the world that I can get behind if we if we, in the in the language of uh, Paul we're to shine like stars in the night we're to shine like stars in the midst of a world that doesn't have very many bright lights or hope or love that's our calling that's what we're called to and that's what we ought to be as a people as a church as an ecclesia let's pray Father, we, uh, we come before you today, Lord, knowing full well uh, that in so many ways we do not embody, uh, we do not live out uh, the calling or the ministry of Jesus. In, in our hearts, we are not the people uh, that we, Jesus has called us to be. And so, God, I ask specifically for us as a people, that you would draw us to yourselves, that you would help us to follow faithfully in the way of Jesus, that we would sit uh, underneath Jesus, that we would sit at his feet as our teacher, and that we would begin the process of learning what it means to love those who, uh, to our minds, are not very lovable, that we begin to learn what it means to extend love, grace, and goodness to those who uh, we don't naturally want to do that with. Can we take on the the direction, the orientation, the the character of Jesus in real and specific ways, in real and concrete ways that don't just uh, give lip service to a reality that we think we know, but embody the true nature, love, goodness, and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us to be your people, that they might know that you're our God. We pray it all in the strong name of Jesus. Amen and amen. All right, go today in the grace and the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ.